Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally Rye. And this week I'm joined by Stephanie Yaboa. She is a blogger and a recently published author of the brilliant book, Fatally Ever After, A Fat Black Girl's Guide to Living Life Unapologetically. I have to say I learned an awful lot reading the book. Stephanie is a brilliant writer. She's funny and humorous, and um, but she's also really real and weaves a lot of her own story and experiences within the book um and so I think you're gonna love her in this chat and you're gonna love her in the book um and we discussed things that uh Stephanie's been talking about for a long time we talk about body positivity and she's been a um, vocal critic of what mainstream body positivity has become and I think it's really important we listen to Stephanie's perspective on that and we also talk about her own relationship with food and exercise um, and also a brilliant story about how Steph met Lizzo, which I think you are going to love. But before we get into that, uh, just a reminder that the Train Happy merch is still available for pre-order until November 7th. So make sure to get your pre-orders in. Go to everpress.com forward slash train happy to pre-order your I train happy t-shirt or your I train happy hoodie and deliveries will be fulfilled after November 7th which is perfect timing if you're looking for some Christmas presents or you want to drop a hint for someone to get you something for Christmas now is the last chance to get those pre-orders in this week and before we get into the episode one more thing it's time for train happy trooper of the week this week's train happy trooper and train happy moment comes from kim kim emailed in and said my train happy moment this week is that i did a 100 kg leg press this morning i've never done 100 kg anything for the last few weeks i've been really not feeling going to the gym so i listened to some of your episodes to reassure myself this was okay and not a failure I went on a few walks and runs instead and then tried going to the gym this morning for the first time. It turns out, listening to my body and giving myself that rest has really, really helped. Kim, that is awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I think hopefully that encourages people to listen to your body, take the rest you need um, and then come back with a bang. Getting that 100kg leg press, that's amazing. If you would like to share your train happy moment on the podcast, email in to trainhappypodcast at gmail.com. I love reading your emails and I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, enough from me. Let's get into our chat with Stephanie Yaboa. Welcome, Steph, to the Train Happy Podcast. How have you been doing? I feel like 2020 seems to have been a bit of a mammoth year for you, despite all its challenges. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's been 
oh, it's been overwhelming and great and stressful and great and wonderful. And uh, yeah, I'm still kind of riding the wave. Um, but I've been good. I've been good. Yeah, I feel we got to meet at the beginning of the year and um, I introduced myself and just said, big fan of your work. Um, <laughs> and then it was literally probably a couple of weeks after that, that coronavirus happened and then um, obviously no one's been doing anything. And then you've released your book, Fatally Ever After. Um, and but despite all the odds, it just seems to be really resonating with people. I personally have loved reading it. I felt like it was... I felt like, you know, when you can read something and hear the person's voice, that's yeah. exactly how I felt. I felt it was really personal. You are really funny in it, despite discussing really <laughs> difficult things at times. It's just when you're just, you're a little like, OMG, lol, like, but that's something quite serious. It's kind of, I just think it's a really, it's a really um, great and millennial way, I think, of tackling some really big issues and topics like mental health, um, bullying, um, and your experiences of living in a larger body. So how did you find writing the book and what's the reaction been? Oh, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to know that you you read it in my voice because that was the number one thing that I was really conscious and wary of. Like I really wanted it to kind of be in my own voice and sort of present itself the same way that I present myself online or on Twitter or whatever the case may be so that makes me really happy that you were able to kind of read it in my voice um I definitely wanted to go from that angle because like you said the topics were really heavy and I didn't want it to be a kind of um negative sort of woe is me this is really heavy and traumatic kind of book um even though I know that you know there are markets for those books out there but on the whole I really wanted it to be a positive book and something that could cheer people up and make people laugh and um which is why I made it so colloquial in how it's written and and uh it was important for me to kind of inject my personality into it. And do you know what? So far, it's been so lovely. It's been out just over a month now. Um, and yeah, the reactions have been really, really lovely. People have been um, messaging and saying how helpful that they, they found the book. Um, even though the book is targeted towards uh, predominantly plus size black women, uh, I have had loads of women who fall outside of that demographic saying you know, this book has been able to sort of teach me more about the body positive movement and my privilege and, and all of these things. And so my my whole goal going into it was even if it helps one person, then that's great. But so many people have uh, seemed to, to, to really like it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm really chuffed because I'm one of those people that can sometimes I've kind of been avoiding like reading reviews or comments and things like that. And so um, for people to kind of give me that direct feedback has been, yeah, so lovely. I think all the feedback is valid and like all the positive feedback. Anyway, I have no criticisms in the sense that I just, <laughs> and like you said, I absolutely fall out of the bracket of who the book was um, written for. You say this is a love letter to... Um, size black women and I felt that um yeah despite not being in that category and not being able to relate to experiences in, in um, some degrees that it was I just I'm looking at it because it's just down to my um right <laughs> I'm looking at it like 
it just um it felt like the book that do you feel like this was the book you needed and wanted as a teenager that had this been an option for people to read growing up I think we're about a similar age that maybe experiences would have been different or you would have felt differently about yourself in those experiences yeah absolutely I think it is definitely not only was I writing this book for people who look like me shaped like me and were going through the same issues but there was a catharsis in me actually writing it for 12 year old me and 13 year old me and I do honestly feel like if I did have books and resources such like uh, such as this book at, if um when growing up um, I think I would have, yeah, viewed my body very differently and, and would have made more of an effort at a, at a younger age to learn how to love myself and my body and realise that there were other women out there that looked like me who were going through the same things, who had come out the other side um, a lot happier. Um, and more importantly, it would have been good for me to know that bodies like mine are normalised as well. Because uh, we didn't, you know, back then bodies like mine weren't normalized it was more vilified and marginalized and all of these things and so if I had seen if I had been in a environment where bodies like mine were normalized um and we had books and and, you know music stars and all of these things that looked like me I think I would have been a lot more of a happier teenager I think one of the favorite parts of the book I think is when you tell the story of meeting Lizzo that's one of my favorite parts because I just I just felt like yeah you just really communicated your experience and I would love for you to like in a nutshell you don't have to (laughs) you Mm. can you can in fact say as much as you want um if you want to tell um people listening like the story of meeting Lizzo and what that meant to you yeah sure so I was very kindly invited to um I'd been a huge fan of Lizzo since like 2017 um but back then she was still quite underground and she was playing gigs and festivals in the states and things and she hadn't had like a proper album out and um when Juice came out at the beginning beginning of 2019 she kind of just exploded like she was everywhere on the cover of all these magazines and you know me and the other kind of fat girls out here were just like living vicariously through her and I was so happy for her success because she was like our version of like Beyonce she was like a fat Beyonce and you know we we lived for it we loved we loved it and then I heard she was coming to the UK and I was like oh my god I'm gonna be like in the same kind of airspace as Lizzo and um one of my friends who worked with, um, who worked at Lizzo's record company at the time, um, knew that I was a big fan of her and she sent me a message and she was like, do you want to come to, uh, central London where she's doing a gig? And I kind of had like a mini heart attack and I was like, cause I remember that day I was so busy. I was like going up and down doing stuff. So I was on the way home to go and like take my makeup off and sleep. And that's when I got the message. She was like, Steph, it's in three hours. <laughs> and I was like, do you know what? put my makeup back up I got home redid my makeup wore something um wore something else and I was like nothing is getting in the way of me just like being in the same space as her so we got to the event and she was there in all of her amazingness and um she was singing mostly acoustic hits but then she sang juice and everybody around me was singing and dancing and like raving and all of singing along and and all of these things and I was, <laughs> I was just, it was so sad. I was in the middle of the dance floor, just staring at her in awe, just staring at this woman who was shaped like me, 
so confident and beautiful and strong and talented and unapologetic. And I burst into tears and I was crying and crying. I wasn't even swaying or moving. I was just crying in the middle of the dance floor. And then another member of her team who was near backstage saw me crying. So she came up to me and she was like, uh, do you want to meet Lizzo after her show? And then I screamed again. <laughs> My heart kind of stopped. And I was like, yeah. So then after the after her, her set, um, we went backstage. And I remember just like creeping into the backstage as if I was like, I don't know what, I don't know why I was doing this, but I like creeped in like some kind of cat. Um, and she was just there with like all of her managers and her dancers and stuff. And again, I burst into tears. I was like, I was like snot crying. It was absolutely one of the most horrendous times of my life in terms of being embarrassed. I was so embarrassed, but I was, it was overtaken by this sense of joy and relief and, um, this this sense of just like the magnitude of what she was doing for the industry but not only the industry for plus size women and plus size black women that look like her it was just I I almost spontaneously combusted (laughs) like um so I went up to her and I was like um oh Lizzo I love you you're amazing you've done this you've done this and you mean so much to me And, um, yeah, she gave me a hug and, you know, we started talking and I was crying some more. And then, uh, right in the middle as we were talking, she said, oh, um, are you the person that wrote XXX article? And I was like, yeah. And then she's like, yeah, I know who you are. I've read your Refinery29 article. And I was just like, oh my God, the queen knows who I am. And then I burst into tears again. So it was mostly really just me crying for about 85% of it. Um, And then just staring at her with my mouth open, just like, you know, you are who I needed to see as a child. And yeah, it's one of my most treasured experiences ever. Do you feel like a lot of those tears were like literally your 13 year old self, 12 year old self just being like, you're the role model, you're the person that I needed and, and like, that's so beautiful. I think, um, it's so, it's like, you're not meant to meet your heroes, but it sounds like she didn't disappoint. Absolutely. It was definitely, uh, like 12 year old me crying. It was, I don't know, as she was singing, it just my inner child was so full and so yeah. happy and felt so seen and yeah. so visible. And I, I was so overwhelmed with gratitude and love. And it almost, it's, it's a weird thing to say, but I was almost like, oh, wow. So is this what privileged people feel like all the time? Like they get to turn around and just see people that look like them and represent them all the time. This was the first time that I'd ever felt like that. And I just felt like an overwhelming sense of normality, I think. And uh, yeah, it just caused me to break down (laughs) into tears. I think that's a really important thing to recognise. And for people like myself, you know, thin, white, straight sized, it is easy for me to find representation. It's easy for me to find role models and people to look up to because those people seem to get the mainstream. Mm. But um, that a form of privilege is having those people to look up to and having those people to aspire to be like. Um, And that 
if you don't fit that category, it's actually a lot harder to find those people. And what I really loved in your book as well, because you kind of go through the history of the representation, the different stereotypes of uh, black women you're seeing, and particularly um, larger black women you're seeing on TV shows. Um, and and it, I found it so interesting how there were, I you know, maybe less than 10 people who you were like, these were pinpointing certain people whether it was like Missy Elliott or Monique or these sorts of people who you could point out and I think in contrast I think it's important for people to realizing who um, do have the privilege that we could name multiple people mm. and it, it's not it I could go through my childhood and probably add a few you know quite a few more in the mix there because that is what we grew up with you know 90s you know 2000s um, and I feel like, but you're being that representation that people needed, right? So this Gen Z are finding you, are finding your work, are finding this book, and they're going to start writing about you in the future, which I think is so cool. Oh, you feel like God, that? I think say that. <laughs> take the compliment because I feel like it's true. It's true. Oh, do you know what? It, it's so scary when you say that because I, I just, do you know what? I okay, so I'm, I've always been very introverted. And growing up, you know, I kind of grew up online as we all did, you know, the MySpace era and High Five and, you know, all of these eras. And I've always, even when it comes to Twitter, I've always just had like the same 20 people that I speak to uh, ever since like, gosh, 2010. Like, it's always like the same circle. So I always forget how extended my reach is. And even on places like Instagram, it's mostly like the body positivity self-love crew that I speak to or like the same kind of 80 people that I um, engage with and so I forget and I think oh that's just you know my little bubble where I could just talk about weird things like smegma and all that kind of stuff <laughs> and um, yeah so I, I forget that there are people outside of that that know who I am and so when you say that it oh it's so scary I don't know I don't know I don't know I don't know I don't even have an answer I just feel like wow that's don't, don't feel the pressure just be yourself yeah. and people do, you know when you're just being yourself that that's when it's like at its best I'm sorry if I put loads of additional pressure no, on no, you no. Like, no, oh, and this realization fine. like oh. um I thought that was really yeah and I thought like the the history of representation and how yeah how we're kind of evolving slowly evolving to to normalize body diversity um I don't know if you listened to Sonia Renee Taylor on Brenny Brown's podcast the Unlocking Us podcast I don't know if you've listened to that not yet no okay highly recommend but she discusses how diversity and she used the analogy of trees and how there are so many different trees of all shapes and sizes and so many um and like we never question the trees we never question that there are like trees you can drive through in California and then there are like little twigs um that we could you know just about justify a tree like we just don't even question it and she just says it much clearer than I do because she is a poet um but it just I think those kind of conversations that perspective I think is kind of I hope going to seep into this next decade of like normalizing bodies and I think uh, Lizzo actually did a really great quote didn't she for her Vogue article saying like I don't want to be known as 
this, what, why do I have to be known as, um, I'm very much paraphrasing, but essentially saying like, can't I just be normal? My body is normal. My body isn't this, yeah. you know, this totally different thing. Like I'm just like a body like everyone else. And actually that's what we're striving for. How do you feel about that in the context of body positivity? Yeah, I agree. I think it's important for for all bodies to be normalized in that in that instance. And I, you know, with what Sonia was saying, I completely agree. Like you, when it comes to like inanimate objects or you know non human um, beings, they come in all shapes and sizes, and we don't flinch. We don't say a word when we see like chubby dogs or cats. We react with saying things like, "Oh, they're so cute and so adorable." Um, when it comes to human beings, it's like, ugh, grotesque, get away from me kind of thing. And I just think the human psyche is just really weird. And it, we seem to go through these trends every hundred years or so uh, where something is seen as, you know, uh, happening and now and cool. And I guess, you know, for the last few centuries or so, it's been slimness and thinness. And um, well, in the westernized standard of beauty anyway it's kind of been you know being slim and thin and athletic and all of these kinds of thing things which is fine but it's just a case of you know once you center that as normality and you frame everything else as you know um weird or gross or exotic then that's where i think the problems can occur um in regards to body positivity i agree i think it's important that we strive to just normalize bigger bodies like it doesn't have you don't have to kind of put a label on somebody because they are bigger so if somebody is a singer you know you don't say um oh plus size singer or body positive singer lizzo and 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 it's funny that it's only a thing that is reserved for women so you kind of have people like let's say for instance before he lost the weight sam smith Nobody called him a plus size singer or body positive singer. You have people like uh, DJ Khaled and Rick Ross and, um, oh, what's the guy, the guy that sang that song, uh, Human, I can't remember his name, um, tip of the tongue, I can't remember his name, but he's another like British singer, plus size, and they're not known as like body positive whatevers or, or and all of that kind of stuff because plus size male bodies are normalised so that kind of also goes to show that it's not just um an issue regarding um you know body image it's a patriarchal issue as well and it just goes to show how heavily policed uh women's bodies are and you know for me i i do want to get to a point where we don't have to always preface or issue a disclaimer for our bodies as being body positive or the plus size this or the plus size that because Lizzo being plus size does not have anything to do with her talent or how well she can sing or how funny she is or how well she can dance or play the flute like being plus size is, is has nothing to it doesn't affect her talent in any way so the fact that she keeps being labeled as that is in a way still othering I also think it's really interesting at like other assumptions are made and this is like going into the fitness realm but how Lizzo loves TikTok I love TikTok I'm so happy she's there and she made a video that went um, viral a few months back where basically she would she had been posting herself doing like gym workouts or she does what I eat in the days and stuff never says I'm losing weight never says this is 
for this outcome. She just does her thing and like everyone else and people make assumptions because of her body shape. And it's really interesting that everyone assumes that she, she must be working out to lose weight or they the comments are always like commenting, congrats, keep going or, you know, don't work out because I like you the way you are. Or, you know, this whole kind of thing where everyone's making a judgment as to what she's doing. And she basically was like, mind your own business don't judge me don't judge mm-hmm. other people just be kind um in her unique way um and I think it is really interesting um how weight stigma and these biases that we have around bodies and assumptions around health and fitness particularly where these people where we really like to project I think there's a lot of projection especially online and mm-hmm. what has your experience been with fitness and the narrative that people work out to lose weight and you know this very diet culture based narrative that oh if you're doing this you must be um mm. you know trying to look good in a bikini or whatever and um I say that in air quotes how what are your feelings about that in terms of the assumptions and judgments that are made I think with that, the, assu- the assumptions and judgments are made because of how the fitness industry has framed fitness and diet, and predominantly they framed it as a as a ma- as a way and a means to lose weight. They have prized weight loss as the ultimate goal and the only reason why you should be losing weight. So it's only natural that society will see somebody working out and instantly assume that that person is working out to lose weight. And I think we just need to go through. Um, we need to go through this thing where we unlearn all of these um, ideas about weight loss and, and uh, um, exercising and diet and all of these things. For me, I so I um, do yoga and I work out every now and again. Um, and for me, I have so much more of a healthier relationship with working out because I'm not doing it to lose weight whereas before I would oh my gosh when I was sort of in the in the throes of eating disorders and wanting to lose weight and self-hate I would work out um every day even if I couldn't do it I'd be in pain but I would always say oh you know pain is gain and all of these kinds of thing and I would be trying to keep up with all of these smaller people who were doing the work and I couldn't do it. And it would make me feel even worse about myself because I couldn't keep up with them. Um, and so I dreaded working out because I could see that the weight wasn't coming off. But now, now that I've taken it, taken it a bit slower, I know that I'm working out more for my mental health and for my endorphins. And I'm working out because I want to be stronger as opposed to losing weight. I have a much better relationship with, working out now but you still get those people who um you know if if you're if you show a video or or something about you working out people automatically say oh congratulations or um I see you're trying to lose weight and that's why I don't post pictures or or videos of me working out as much anymore because I tend to get inundated with those kinds of messages and then I would have to tell those people I'm not doing it because of um weight loss I'm doing it because of my mental health and you know it's important to kind of bring up the other side of it 
the more toxic side of body positivity as well, who have issues with plus size women predominantly working out. There are a lot of plus size women I know who regularly exercise, but they feel as if they can't show their exercising online because they will be accused of betraying the body positive movement or they will be accused of um, wanting to lose weight. Um, And a lot of the time that isn't that isn't the case at all. Um, The way in which people work out should be down to that person alone. It shouldn't, I don't like the fact that there is such an entitlement over fat bodies that people think that they can sort of assume what and why somebody is working out. I think that's really important to bring up because that's what diet culture has done to fitness. It has produced this narrative that because we culturally think exercise equals weight loss or fitness equals weight maintenance weight loss and all those things combined that it seems like we couldn't possibly work out for anything else and what are the other reasons that's what um this podcast is all about helping people find those reasons that are totally unrelated to that that's what um my book is about reclaiming fitness from diet culture that's what we like to say because um there are so many benefits of exercising that have absolutely zero to do with weight with the scales in fact absolutely there's a bit in my there's a bit in my book and a post I did recently where it's like I think we get to about 27 28 benefits of exercise and I say in the post only two of those things are weight loss or aesthetics the rest of those benefits are to do with um whether it's uh stronger um, bone health so as we get older um, we prevent against osteoporosis or it's feeling stronger mentally physically stamina to go and you know hike the mountains on holiday and do all that kind of stuff so I think yeah there's it's interesting how diet culture harms people or um, from so many different angles in that sense in terms of the narrative around fitness and I think it's really good we highlight that I want to talk about your perspective on body positivity because you have done so many articles and obviously you, you discuss it like page one boom we're going there body <laughs> positivity um I'd love to hear your take on it and what body positivity has become in 2020 and how things have changed and evolved um over the years yeah, sure. Um, so with body positivity, it was a movement that was, gosh, it kind of like vaguely started in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and it was around for a while, but then it kind of got drowned out as the new trends started coming in, uh, predominantly in America. So we had loads of, you know, the Farrah Fawcett waves, the athletic bodies, the beach bodies, and all of these kinds of things. It led into the 90s with like the Kate Moss waif look. um, And it seemed like thin was in. And it wasn't until I want to say like 2008, 2009, that the body positive movement started to sort of pick up roots again, but this time it was predominantly on um, social media platforms such as Tumblr uh, and Facebook groups and things like that. And I remember I, the first time I noticed it was when I had a Tumblr blog that was predominantly a weight loss blog. Um, and so I would type in, you know, all of the, all of my food for that day and all of that kind of stuff. And I, I guess due to the algorithm, I would see, all of these like plus size bodies up and down my timeline. And so I was curious one day and I clicked onto the hashtag, which at the time was 
uh, it was fat acceptance. And so I clicked onto the hashtag and I just saw all of these amazing women who look like me, um, all shapes and sizes, and they were uploading videos and uh, gifts and poems and short stories and photos of themselves in bikinis just looking absolutely amazing. Um, at the time, I saw people like Kelly B and Gabby Gregg. Um, they were all on Tumblr. And everybody seemed to be using the hashtag body positivity and fat acceptance. So it's kind of like the two were interchangeable. And so back then it was a movement that was predominantly sort of, uh, it, it kind of came up again uh, with predominantly larger plus size um, black women and women of colour. And so for a very long time, it was still quite underground, like it hadn't really sort of made its transformation to Instagram yet, um, though it was just a bunch of us really just uploading pictures of ourselves in like underwear and, you know, talking about how much we love our bodies. And it, it was a safe space for specifically black plus size women and women whose bodies do not have the societal privilege as as other bodies had, where we could just talk about how society is just really rubbish about how we how how we're treated and then we saw this really big boom in influencing so plus size influencers became a thing both in the states and in the uk and so a lot of plus size influencers started using body positivity hashtags which is fine but then as plus size blogging, plus size fashion, plus size influencing began to get more popular, what we found is that articles, publications and brands um, started um, creating campaigns uh, surrounding uh, body positivity. And what we found was all of these campaigns were popping out of nowhere, talking about, uh, you know, self-love at all sizes and, you know, um, all bodies matter and, you know, being bigger is, you know, there's nothing wrong with being bigger. All of these amazing body positive campaigns, however, they were only using white women and, 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 and lighter skinned women who could pass for white. Um, they were using women whose bodies sort of were capped at like a size 14 to 16. Um, and it became a standard of beauty within body positivity. While they uplifted and upheld the thoughts, values and perspectives of women that they deemed to be attractive, they were in the same vein ignoring and marginalising the bodies that needed the movement the most and who and who you know, created the movement. So between sort of 2015, well, to now, I think, it's just become a place where I think anybody feels like they can be a part of the movement because they don't know the history of the movement. They don't know that it's a really political movement that is meant for bodies that do not have the same privileges. Um, and like a lot of things, I guess, because because it was created by or, or it was spearheaded by black women and plus size black women, we're a demographic that is not given an, a lot of visibility or positive visibility anyway. So I think people just didn't care. And so it's kind of, you know, I can't think of any other choice of words here, but it's kind of been a bit colonized, <laughs> like the movement. Um and we've all seen it happen in real time, which has been really weird. And, you know, it's this thing with 
advertising and marketing they want to jump aboard the self-love train but they only want to use models and spokespeople who are still palatable to the masses and by masses they mean male masses so you can be plus size as long as you're sexy as long as you can sell sex as long as we still find you attractive and as long as you are an acceptable fat um you can be part of this plus size uh body positive community but if you fall outside of that, then we don't deem you as marketable and we don't deem you as attractive and people won't want to listen to what you have to say. So for me, it was a case of just being really tenacious and having a big mouth and just talking and talking and ranting on Twitter and just not letting things go. And for me, that has cost me a lot. Like it's cost me sponsorships with brands. I've had brands blacklist me because I would talk about the fact that they weren't being diverse. It's cost friendships where people thought that I was just chatting out of my ass and eventually they all came crawling back you know but (laughs) but back then it it cost me a lot I I definitely ostracized myself because I was you know this larger black woman who was talking about the fact that a movement's been taken away from us and at the time people thought myself and other plus-size black women were being aggressive and sassy and loud um so let's not listen to them but um now it kind of feels like the chickens have kind of come home to roost so to speak and and I'm glad that I'm that we're at a point now where we can speak our truth and actually have platforms where people that don't have the same societal privilege privileges can talk and, and talk about their experiences because the experiences of being black and plus size and navigating society is very different to being white and plus size it's very very different so yeah I I wouldn't say that I am a member of the body positive movement anymore because it's just been taken away from us and it's it's so it's such a different machine now that it's not something that I would associate with that's such a long answer I'm so sorry (laughs) I think it's really helpful for people to understand we've had this conversation a few times on this podcast but this is the first time we're really having it with um a black woman and a plus size woman. And I think that's extremely important because we may refer to those things in conversation, but it's really important to just hear your perspective Mm. and take on it. And I think because I actually, I think me on going on the journey of realizing um, what body positivity was actually about and have fortunate of of friends to point me in the right direction and say, you know, you should go check out um, this article Steph's written and has been really helpful for me. And so, um, I think the misconception is being body positive is just being positive about your body and that's what it is and therefore can't everyone be positive about their body and doesn't everyone feel crap about themselves at some point and therefore Mm. need to feel positive about themselves um and I certainly think and I'd be really interested in your uh, perspective I think there's a place for everyone to to speak um their truth about their body about their body image does it have to be with the hashtag body positivity does it need to be in that community could we could you use another name label for it could you go and create something somewhere else yes and I think think that's hard to do um considering how much there's an appetite for this stuff um when I talk about body image online when people talk about body image online it's and I'm sure you're the same it gets a huge response because mm. we're, all, we're all wading through shit but some people are wading through more than others. And we just have to recognize that, right? We just have to, and say, you, you know, you do need that community on camaraderie and that safe space 
um, that was originally designed and can't that be what it is? Um, but I wonder if the lines have got so blurred at this point that there's a lot, it's like the knots got very tangled and almost, yeah. I, I totally appreciate and respect why you have decided like this particular thing might not be for me anymore. So do mm. you identify with a certain movement or have you found another place um, mm. for you? Yeah, so I am very much sort of fat acceptance movement um, because nobody wants to claim that movement because it's got the word fat in it and people are still scared of the word fat. So that's a movement where we've all kind of just, (laughs) I mean, I was claiming it anyway, but we're now kind of more on that side than anything else. And, you know, I totally agree with you. I think it's so important that people have spaces where they're able to talk about uh, the ways in which they feel about their body because nobody is immune to criticism or, or self-hate or anything like that. Um, you know, just because somebody has a privileged body, it doesn't mean that they automatically like themselves or love themselves. Yes, from a societal level, they are privileged because they... And, and when I talk about privileged bodies, I don't mean uh, from a personal aspect I mean from a societal aspect so uh, somebody that you know if you're walking down the street you're not going to get stared at or spit on or have somebody call you a name relating to your weight or have somebody take pictures of you eating or have somebody take pictures of you on the tube which has happened to me um, or have people refuse to sit next to you or you know turn around and you've got weight loss ads everywhere telling you how disgusting you are and fat you are and all of these kinds of things where that fat people have to deal with and process that slimmer people don't that's what I mean by societal privilege um but it doesn't mean that people are going to be 100% okay with who they are and it's important that their feelings are acknowledged and and valid validated and recognized however it's just again it's it's so insignificant well, not insignificant but it's down to semantics like I guess the body positive movement was a movement specifically for plus size black women um and it's such a political thing and I think that's what a lot of us in that movement had an issue with when it was kind of taken away from us and to be fair it was predominantly brands and publications who reframed what the body positive movement is because they wanted to target it towards uh white people and whiteness because you know whiteness is still a thing that is centralized uh, in marketing strategies and all of these things it's still seen as the default on fact unfortunately and so that movement was created um and and turned into something that would benefit the default um and so i think that's why it's not a place where I feel most comfortable anymore so I just yeah I just say fat acceptance um radical fat acceptance whatever the case may be and uh yeah some people assume that fat acceptance means that we are uh, promoting obesity but for the most part it's uh, you know that's another argument (laughs) for another day yeah, we we I have a podcast in the works for people listening where we're going to go through this whole weight health thing and we're going to talk about it in a lot of depth because it's really important that when we're talking about people liking themselves, respecting themselves, receiving respect and um, from the rest of society, it should never be dependent on our health status because, and I think that's the um, the the frustrating part about with the rise of um, body positivity that 
it's kind of you get those concern trollings yeah but how dare you love yourself if you don't fit in this size clothing or you know the like the people making assumptions about people at the gym like oh you I get most frustrated when people make the judgments around um people uh we have an episode with the brilliant Meg Boggs which I think will might be out by the time this comes out and um she's fantastic she is a plus size um fitness and lifestyle account on Instagram and she is incredibly strong does amazing things things that I could only dream of doing (laughs) but the assumption is that oh she she needs to do more cardio or she needs to do this and it's like how do you know what her fitness levels are how do you know by looking at someone and as a personal trainer that's my most frustrating point with the fitness industry and with it's like how do we know unless we have evidence unless we've done testing that also people of all along the spectrum of bodies can all be unfit, can all be unhealthy, could all be doing things that are damaging their health. So why single out these certain group of people? Like if you, I mean, judgment, I don't think is great anyway. I'm not saying, okay, well, if you're going to judge these people, judge these people too. I'm saying Mm. just, just realize how we're just picking and choosing when to have these concerns and why we're not concerned about people in smaller bodies doing similar things if that makes sense Mm -hmm. I think this is primarily because of the way fatness is uh seen as a monolith in the west I'm gonna say westernized standard of beauty in westernized society because what I've noticed is in so I'm from Ghana and so in in West Africa being fat it's still seen as unattractive but it's a lot more accepted over there um and you know, they don't have things such as if they see a fat person, they won't say things like, oh, you're unhealthy. They don't equate fatness with being unhealthy. In fact, it's the other way around. They view it as being very, very healthy. Um, and that rings true in a lot of African countries and also a lot of Asian countries as well, where the standard of beauty is a bit better. It's a bit, um, a bit different, but it just seems in westernized society in europe and america um it's the way in which we're portrayed on tv it's the media and i always you know regardless of talking about healthcare, whatever the case may be it comes back to people's perceptions of us are uh persuaded and informed by the media so for years and years and years fat people have been the the butt of every joke we are framed as the funny best friend the stupid best friend fat bumbling unhealthy couch potato unlucky in love unlucky in our jobs um always depressed about our weight all of these things so people see us as two-dimensional we are not portrayed on TV as being successful or happy or in love or working out or being a human, a normal human person that is contributing to society. We are seen as a drain and people watch this. They grow up watching this. Even when it comes to, you know, we are, we are brainwashed and, and trained how to hate fat people from childhood, from cartoons, the way in which plus size characters in cartoons are, are portrayed as evil or lazy, uh, from things such as, you know, The Simpsons, um, Family Guy, you've got the dads who are fat, but they're also stupid. And so there is this thing where people equate fatness with stupidity and dirtiness and uncleanliness and laziness and ugliness and so people grow up and they have this view of fat people so when they see a fat person 
just sitting down minding their own business they automatically assume that we're unhealthy um if they see a fat person in the gym working out they automatically assume that person is losing weight and then on top of that they laugh at the fat person because oh look at her wobbling and jiggling and all of that thing it's like you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't and we have to change how fat people are seen because we are multi-dimensional human beings that have a lot to offer to society as well and I just think it's so frustrating when you have this thing where people always assume that because one is fat that you're automatically unhealthy I use this analogy all the time whenever a troll tries to you know tell me to go to the gym or that I'm gonna die when I'm 30 and I'm like I'm 31 and I'm still alive like (laughs) whatever but I always say you know and, and this is the thing, fat people should never have to justify their health or their weight to anybody. But for me, I, I always say, you know, I am somebody, I'm 31, I've never really had any major issues with my health, apart from the asthma that I inherited from my dad's side of the family. Um, I've always been fit. I've never really had any issue to, to, to kind of... Uh, to worry about and anytime somebody says oh you know you need to go to the gym or um why don't you go to the gym I always say I do go to the gym and then they say but why are you still fat and I'm like because I'm not going to the gym to to lose weight I'm going to to be stronger um and you know I have people saying oh you're going to go to the hospital or you're going to do this and you're going to be ill and I say that, that there's only ever been one time that I've ever gone to the hospital for something weight related and that was because I got beaten up for being fat at school to the point where I broke bones and I had to go and get casts on them. That's the only time I've ever had a hospital appointment for something during my weight. And it wasn't even to do with my weight. It was people's disgust of my weight. Um, and that it always shuts them up whenever I say that because they're like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, this thing where we determine somebody's health based on how they look is oh it's it's just so wrong and you know that people are using health as a way to disguise their like very rampant fat phobia because they see it as the nicer way of being able to control and police somebody's bodies as opposed to just being an outright arsehole and saying you know you're a fat piece of shit or whatever they think going down the 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 health route is a lot more nice and it's it's not we could it's very clear what people are doing you know it is and I think you're right when we look back at how fatness has been portrayed throughout our lifetime Mm. you kind of understand why people have got to those conclusions um and it is a very socially conditioned perspective and it's a very easy thing to you know to question that to think outside of that narrow box in which um a certain person has been put in Mm. is actually really hard it takes challenging it takes kind of reflecting on like oh where did I learn that from where did I think that and you know I think of how many shows I mean my boyfriend now is like when we're watching anything and he can see that there's something in there that's particularly around like food and weight and diet culture based perspectives or like anti-fat attitudes and he knows I'm sitting there like (laughs) but it's so interesting how even just by being around someone who's questioning it that he's able to go like oh that's not okay oh that's That's a thing isn't that like a and whether he maybe isn't 
consciously going like that's wrong he kind of goes oh that is not that actually isn't um you know that doesn't add up to what I actually the other information I know this actually doesn't make sense Mm. um and even with clients I had a client recently said oh the instructor told us today in my class it went to a different class than usual and and she told us that we needed to burn a certain amount of calories to look good in a bikini and I found it really interesting that she was like and she, she wasn't like that's totally wrong but she would just noticed it and yeah. I think having these conversations help people notice where these little seeds were planted in our heads and I tell you what to use the analogy digging up the roots and it's deep deep mm. deep 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 stuff and it's constant um excavation of ideas and thinking like where has this come from and because we're all human like I have absolutely held um anti-fat attitudes I've absolutely still have fat phobic things go through my head and I'm like um you know the phrase like I'm not my thoughts Mm. we like that like oh that's a thought I've had interesting where did that come from why do I have that um and I think we can do that with all our biases all our prejudices like oh why did I why was I thinking that um because that's how we like undo this right and I think work like yours is really helping us challenge that and and write a new narrative that's that's what I think this book is brilliant I want everyone to read it it's also beautiful inside all the illustrations (laughs) all the thing like because like I said, there are challenging topics in here. You speak about your bullying experience, which is heartbreaking to read. Um, but you can really also, and your dating experience as well. I thought you were so raw and honest about that. But I also like, I took away that, I was just like, I think this girl has an incredible personality. This part, <laughs> like it really, like I just felt like it really spoke through and it really, um, I mean, not everyone has the opportunity to write a book. but I think it really displayed your humanity um but shouldn't I think we need to afford more people a sense of humanity um and like you say being a full person being a well-rounded multi-dimensional human being um and a book certainly helps to get to know someone in that sense um but I think we need to afford that to other people, to other people we see on the internet, when we start to think, oh, maybe I should go in the comments and tell them about their heart. Maybe I should just take a step back for a second and think, like, do I know the full picture? Do I know everything? Maybe I don't. Um, Because I think, unfortunately, that's where the internet world is heading. And as someone as yourself who is very prevalent on the internet, do you feel like this sense of taking snippets of information about people in general and running with it and creating stories and ideas about a person um what do you think about that in terms of how we combat that going forward I just think it's really weird you know I think it's really weird because you know people I I feel like people should know now that when it comes to Instagram or people with platforms it's just a showreel of some of the best parts or the most exciting parts or the funniest parts or most romantic parts of your life. It's not our whole lives. And even for people, you know, that are lifestyle bloggers or their job is to show like their day-to-day life, not everybody is going to show their 100%. And so for me, 
I've always endeavoured to show the good bits and the bad bits um, because I don't have it all together and I I don't know, I, when I see... I feel like when I go onto Instagram and I see people only posting their good bits, sometimes it can, for other people, it can incur this sense of like envy or jealousy over how great this person's life is. So then you start to pluck little holes or if you notice something that wasn't there that was there before then you start to construct these huge narratives over what must be going wrong in their lives and I think this is this is what encourages these really awful threads that we and and message boards that we see where people dedicate their lives to gossiping about other people uh, especially regarding things that aren't true um and so for me I just I don't know. I, I, I show the good things and the bad things because it's all a part of me and my, you know, I hate using the word brand, but brand and just me as a person, a well-rounded person, you have good days and you have up days. And I've always believed in the power of being vulnerable, um, especially when you are doing it to a lot of people, it can be quite scary. But I think that there's a strength in that as well. Um, there, When you have a platform, I think there is a certain entitlement that people think they have over your lives that can be quite scary and so for me I've always endeavored to like I've always said if if in the very 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 rare occasion that I ever get into a relationship I would never post my partner on on online if anything it would be like on a close friend story on Instagram but I don't think I could ever muster up the courage to post my partner I don't really post like my family um because you're opening them up to scrutiny and and people will then start to um have this entitlement over that person as well and we've seen it happen so many times with like these YouTube couples where people are being very open about their relationship and then that relationship breaks down and then suddenly they don't want to talk about it because it's private and then you have people being like oh but you've showed yourself for like three years about all the stuff that you get up to and now you're suddenly deciding to be private and it's just like you have to cut people some slack like people we do not owe our lives to the public you know it's um it's a weird kind of pedestal to be on. And I think people, be- people forget our humanity and they forget that we are human beings, um, even though we are online and they forget that, that words hurt and words can hurt. And, um, because they see us as this brand that's always supposed to be happy as opposed to human beings that are just showing little bits in, of their day. And so, yeah, I hate it. I just hate the entitlement around it. I think. Yeah. I think having, been online to in different ways maybe for like I think about eight years now um there's certain recently in the last couple of years just decided to take a a bit of a step back from the personal stuff um as I've got older and wiser (laughs) (laughs) and and kind of um you know share little bits here and there but um I'm really fortunate that what I do is very focused around my work now and I think Mm -hmm. for me that feels the best impact I can make on social media as well as what I feel comfortable with because yeah there's no rule book for this stuff <laughs> we're all just making it up as we go along in terms of what we're doing now I want to slightly pivot mm-hmm. um and because I want to discuss this with you even though it is a heavy topic and you mentioned previously that you um had developed an eating disorder I think am I right in saying in your teen years and early 20s mm-hmm. um 
And I really appreciated your perspective, as you said. Um, I think the section is called Black Fat Women Get Eating Disorders Too. And the way you humanize that, I think, and um, explain that. And if you don't mind, um, I would like to read a little section you wrote, if you don't mind me saying your words. Yeah, no, of course. But it was, um, um, it's just kind of a little bit towards the end of that um, section, but it just says, um, it taught me that even in the midst of our mental health struggles, black women are not allowed to be fragile. We are normally the driving forces in our homes, even though a lot of the time we make the least amount of money and get the least amount of respect. We are often the trendsetters in style, lingo, and body type, yet equally just as invisible or brushed off as ghetto. While our white counterparts are celebrated for the appropriated content, we are everything and nothing. Everyone sustains themselves from the metaphorical well that is black women's strength. And as a black woman, you're immediately cannibalized if you dare let that well run dry. And I felt I put that bit just really stood out to me. Um, and I would love to talk that about that in the context of your discussions around eating disorders and mental health in the book, about how there is not much grace given to black women to discuss these issues. And yeah. um, maybe you could tell us a bit about your experience in terms of feeling that you are not at the barriers to being heard Mm. and and being able to like tell and being your experience being taken seriously I think when we talk about things such as like the westernized standard of beauty or just a general standard of beauty it's so ingrained in our culture that it even translates to eating disorders and and other topics that are very heavy and very deep and very triggering because when we look at eating disorders for the most part for a lot of us we instantly think of slim white women um again it's even though it's such a heartbreaking topic whiteness has still been it's still been normalized there it's still seen as the default um and i think it's due to the prejudice i can never say this word prejudice prejudices (laughs) it's due to like the prejudices and the stereotypes on society's part as to how they see black people and see black women so what we've seen is that Obviously, there is a huge difference in the standard of beauty between the races, whereas in um, when we think about sort of whiteness and white culture, being slim is, is seen as beautiful. In black culture, it's, you know, being hourglass shaped or being curvy is being seen as beautiful. So people will naturally assume that larger black women or black women that aren't a size 10 to 12 are happy in our skin because we are the way we are. But the thing is, we live in the UK, we live in the States, and we are exposed to this standard of beauty that, uh, you know, just because we come from black communities, it doesn't mean that we don't hear these messages of slim is better, slim is better, slim is better. And so for me, um, I was put on Weight Watchers when I was like 12 13 and that left me with really damaging um and toxic views as to how I viewed food um when I went there I remember them saying that I had to eat like 800 calories a day or something like that and after I stopped going to the meetings and and I I quit altogether after a while because I just thought the whole practice was a bit 
clocks it. Um, it still remained in my head, like 800 calories, 800 calories. And so I, I would go through periods of like one month or two months or three months where I would subscribe to that. And if I had a day that I was, that I had eaten a lot more than I thought was 800 calories, uh, I would throw it up. And I didn't see anything wrong with that. I just thought, oh, I'm just getting rid of the excess. And obviously this didn't, it didn't keep itself up. I think when you're trying to lose weight via those means, it never works. You'll put the weight on again, eventually. So it was this up and down yo-yoing uh, dieting that I was doing. And every time I lost weight, I was encouraged by friends and family to say, oh, you're doing such a good job. Keep up with what you're doing. And what I was doing was the throwing up and the fasting and all of these things. And so their validation made me feel like I was doing something right. And so I didn't really see what I was doing as an eating disorder um, until later on in my early 20s when I decided to, um, in order to fit into a bikini, <laughs> I decided to um, to lose about four stone. And I wanted to lose it as quickly as possible. So I gave myself three months to do it and uh oh gosh potential trigger warning but i'm gonna put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode don't worry okay perfect um and in order to do that i went back to the binge eating and, and the throwing up i i was fasting i was ordering illegal diet pills off of like foreign websites i was juicing i was purposely not eating I went on this stupid thing called like a waterfall diet which apparently Cameron Diaz and all of these other people have done where you literally just drink water and live on apples and I was I was doing this every day not knowing the harm that it was impacting on my body but I saw it as a means to an end and I ended up losing the weight I felt disgusting I felt horrible in myself I was very ill my stomach I was having all of these stomach issues and throat issues because of the constant sort of throwing up and it was at that point that I realized who am I doing this for and and then as and then after that is when I sort of started on my period of self-love but during those times we are not um it, it almost feels like we weren't given the compassion or the or the visibility needed within those areas because there is this assumption that black women are happy with their bodies because black men love how they look and you know their society likes how they look so we don't even get a look in you know my doctor knew everything that I was doing but he saw it as a good thing whether it was because I was black or whether it was probably because I was fat and it was a way to get the fat off as quickly as possible I was encouraged to do that um but black women in general were not afforded the the vulnerability we have all of these stereotypes put on us that have come from you know since the days of slavery and colonization and and jim crow and all of these eras um that we've had black women have always had to be you know, we're always known as strong and sassy and uh, dominant and intimidating and masculine and, 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 and aggressive and all of these stereotypes where people assume that we can somehow, that we're somehow stronger than every other race. And even though to the ear it sounds good, oh, black women are magic, black women are strong, 
it's so dehumanizing because you're taking away our humanity in the sense of we don't feel pain you know people assume we don't feel pain the same way as white women do that's why black women are five times more likely to die during childbirth in the uk because we're not given the same medication we are ignored when we say we're in pain but by you constantly saying that we can withstand all of these things that everybody else probably can't you're putting us at risk because then it's especially for younger black women, we're going to adhere to these stereotypes and we're going to think that we have to be strong and that we shouldn't talk about our pain or our eating disorders or the thoughts that we have surrounding our bodies. There is a huge stigma in the black community when it comes to mental health and that includes eating disorders because even when you talk about eating disorders in a black community, you'll be met with things such as well, that's not true. That doesn't exist in our community because, you know, we're bigger and we love ourselves and, what you know, all of these things. And it's so wrong because there are women out there suffering, but it's almost like we can't say anything because we won't be believed by both communities. And, oh, it's, it's so, so, so dangerous. And I just think black women, we need to be given that space to be vulnerable and to, and to be, not to be seen as weak, but to know that we go through exactly the same struggles that everybody else does. We are not tougher. We are not stronger. Yes, we have had to be those things because of racism and colonization and all of these things. But we feel the same way everybody else does. We feel pain. We feel moments where we don't like our bodies. We go through these feelings of feeling inadequate because we have grown up in a predominantly white society that tells us that people that look like you know Cameron Diaz and all the Hollywood stars is what the ideal uh form of beauty is so regardless of us being black we still live in a white country that prioritizes a certain beauty type and there are going to be some of us that go through these disorders in order to look like those beauty types and we need to be believed. Um, I, I think it's a case where we're just not believed by either community. And yeah, it's heartbreaking. And so I, I, I'm really, I thought it really important to add that into this book to show that, yes, fat women can, or fat people can have eating disorders, regardless of if we you can see our ribs or, you know, we're small or not. It's the eating disorder, it's the way in which we eat that's the issue. It's not, yes, it is the effects that we have on our, the effect that eating has on our bodies is important but it's the actual disordered way of eating that is the I feel is the main crux of an eating disorder and it's important that our experiences are validated in all aspects I absolutely agree and I um I know there's like a lot of critical discussion within eating disorder community about this and how things are flying under the radar and getting missed um because of a lack of understanding and and mm. um but yeah because things are are getting missed um and yeah eating disorders are a mental health issue it's not it's um it is your mental health and it physicalizes itself but um that doesn't discriminate against body size like it it mm. you know it's really worrying and I've been writing about this today this morning in something I'm gonna put on Instagram but later on but how we need to be really mindful I think as fitness professionals like myself anyone working in nutrition or anyone in this field that it be really mindful that the just the behaviors that you're 
concerned about in thin white women are the ones that we're praising in plus size people and um, plus size black people. Like, let's you have mm-hmm. to be really mindful that, um, or it, it should be red flags across the board and shouldn't be reserved for one BMI. Um, Absolutely. Also loved your BMI's trash bit as well, by the way. Just love that whole bit. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's so important. <laughs> I, um, do you know what? It just pisses me off sometimes that people still won't do the research and still insist on believing this system that is so fundamentally flawed in a bid to feel vindicated or it to feel like oh well bmi said it so you are unhealthy and it's just like you need to look into the history of bmi and just see how absolutely incorrect and flawed it is people need to know these things <laughs> well do you know there was certain stuff i knew about um bmi and then looking into even further the fact that so it's by a belgian statistician in the late 1800s created these different um sizes and his sample size were white european men Yep, yep. White European men. Think how many people around the world that miss that doesn't miss out. So, it, it, for, from the get go, it was flawed. Yeah. Um, and it's just really, yeah, it's just interesting how people really want to cling on to something. Yeah. That um, is inherently racist, essentially. Yep. Absolutely, it's mad, but. Hey, I guess the more we can talk about this and the more, you know, those of us that have platforms that talk about positive body image, the more we talk about this, hopefully the next generation will have a better chance at being yes. awesome. <laughs> and a critical eye. I think it's just like having that critical awareness and just not taking everything as gospel truth of kind of things, you know, constantly just, Absolutely. like you said, doing your research, um, reading different perspectives, reading different books. Right, Steph, I want to ask you to finish today's episode so I have something I call a train happy moment mm-hmm. and we like to celebrate moments where people have listened to their bodies, whether that be through exercise or food or just in some way that they have had a deeper intuition um, and honoured that intuition. So I wanted to know what has been your train happy moment this week or, you know, this past month, anything mm-hmm. that stands out for you. My train happy moment, I thought of it instantly, actually, is, so there was this pose that I learned in yoga. Oh, I love it so much. Um, It's called the frog pose. And basically, so, okay, so I, the main reason, this is so embarrassing. No, it's not embarrassing. I'm going to claim it, actually. The main reason I, the main reason I wanted to learn how to do yoga is because I just wanted to be more flexible you know where it counts and things and so (laughs) I was like I want to do the splits on things you know (laughs) and so I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna like train my pelvic area and like my thighs and stuff and just generally I wanted to be stronger as well in my uh because last year I broke my ankle and so I've been trying to kind of um build up the strength in my right leg and and all of that kind of stuff and there's this pose called the I think it's the frog pose yeah where you kind of get on all fours but then you you basically touch your pelvis to the floor and spread your legs out. Yes. And it's so, when I first started it, it was so painful, but now I'm able to do it quite comfortably and it feels really good to the point where I can sit there and I can read like a chapter of a book in that position. And for me, I felt really empowered because at the beginning I couldn't do it for more than like 10 seconds without like having to get up and shake myself off and it just, I don't, I can just, I don't know. I don't know how to 
describe it, but it just feels, it's a nice position to be in. It feels really good for my pelvis. Um, and it's comfortable and it makes me feel proud that I've been able to kind of work at something and see it through to the end. And now it's gotten to a point where I can do it for long periods of time. And I feel a lot more flexible in my hips and my, and my lower body and feeling myself be stronger, I think has been a real learning curve for me. It feels good. Um, and so yeah that's almost like my meditation time as well so sometimes I'll do specific poses and I'll put on like an app and then just really try and center myself because as I've gotten older I find it very difficult to switch off and my attention span is terrible and so I'm really trying to get back into listening to my body and just kind of thinking about nothing so um yeah that's what I've that's what I've been trying to do (laughs) that's my moment Thinking about nothing is actually so difficult. This has been a bit of my learning curve of this year too, of learning to just be is so hard. When you could pick up your phone and do something or be productive or whatever, learning to be is hard. Yeah, Um, absolutely. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I'm so happy we finally got to chat. Um, Where can people get your book, Fatally Ever After, and where can they follow you and find out more about your work? Oh, thank you so much. So um, I am at stephanieaboa.com and you can find me on Instagram at stephanieaboa where I'm, you know, posting lots of uh, positive body image stuff. And then you can find me on Twitter at stephanieaboa where I'm just mostly arguing with racists and fatphobic people. (laughs) And uh, my book is available um, on Amazon and all good independent bookshops amazing thank you so much again it has been a pleasure and hopefully we'll get to do this in person again at some oh, point. perfect thank you so much all right bye Steph bye and that is it for this week's episode of the train happy podcast thank you so much for listening I hope you took something away from this episode and if you did please let me know by sending feedback you can find us on instagram at train happy podcast Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening as it really, really helps to support and boost the train happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.